Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the A10 Talk podcast. Sam Basil alongside Daniel Frank, Kaylee Godek, and finally, we were trying to get him on all year, Chris Pyle to talk some, talk some Dayton hoops. Uh, we'll be breaking down, you know, kind of where they are in their season right now, you know, whether they've lived up to expectations, where they might have fallen short, and, you know, how their season kind of affects the rest of the Atlantic 10 as we are now recording this on the eve of the last day of non-conference play but you know pretty much you know only a couple games uh you know one men's game and a couple women's games you know on 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 Friday so conference play is pretty much done before we head into a, a four-day break for Christmas to you know start conference play on this upcoming Wednesday I feel like in the last podcast we were you know kind of kind of teetering on the edge trying to you know find some semblance of how this conference on the, at least on the men's side can kind of resuscitate itself but i don't know if you three will agree oh and we've got yeah gw and the diamond head classic to finish up the men's uh conference slate hopefully you know we were hoping to find some way uh that this this conference could kind of fix itself before heading into conference play but i think now we're off the edge and uh, into the pit of despair. Uh, would any of you guys have any strong feelings against that? No, but I will say we have. Um, so when the first when the net first came out, um, the conference rankings for the average net, we were 14th in the country, and we've jumped up to 12th now. We have passed the Sun Belt and the Ivy League. So, um, can I get a big whoop? <laughs> I mean, I tweeted this out last night. I've been beating the drum for this conference for basically as long as I can remember. This is the first time I've ever just, for the men's side, been completely resigned that, like, nah, there's no hope. There's absolutely no hope of two bids. Like, like I've always been the one to hold out hope. And even if you go back and listen to the previous episodes this year, I have no hope left. None. My hope's been, like, all over the place this season on both sides for both men and women. I think right now we're looking at the woman being stronger than the men wise with actually having a possibility of a two, I'm not going to go far and say three, but I'm going to say a two bid league with three strong teams being UMass, St. Joe's and Rhodey. While the men at this point, unfortunately we only have the auto bid. I feel like. Yeah, pretty much. Um, at least for the men's side, uh, you know, there at least for the Atlantic Ten, there's there is a path to two bids, and you know, auto bid and one at large. But here's the thing: it, the high pr- the probability of that is very unlikely. You know, you would need something like two teams to go, you know, fifteen and three, sixteen and two, something like that. You know, with Dayton and St. Louis. But what are the odds of that actually happening? Like zero to none, right? So. um yeah, I mean, right now we're probably going to see an automatic bid only. It's going to be a it's going to be a what five day fight in Brooklyn. Um, that's pretty much what we're looking at right now, and it's depressing, but it's honestly been a long time coming with this conference. Yeah, I mean, I think you you kind of hit it right on the head with that, Chris. What we've been talking about probably you know talking about a lot like towards like late November and you know into early December is that. The way that this conference has gotten two bids largely, uh, these, these past two, three years has been, you know, you have a really strong, 
you have one team or, you know, one or one to two teams that have really strong non-conference performances. Uh, you know, two years ago, it was like St. Bonaventures and St. Louis. And then last year it was, uh, you know, Davidson. Um, and then you have a team kind of steal their way into the tournament by winning the Atlantic 10 tournament. But right now, I don't really think we have that that team, that team with a target on its back that 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 another Atlantic 10 program can steal a bit from in the conference tournament. And while, you know, if, you know, like, like Daniel, what you're saying, you know, we are kind of like the drum beaters for this conference, right? You know, everyone at A10 talk, people on the podcast, on the blog, you know, because we are fans, that that's rough. That's it's a, it's a rough thing to see. But someone on Twitter, I can't remember who kind of said it today, where if 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 I may offer a bit of of, of you know a, a brighter side to this situation, I think it takes a lot of pressure off of watching conference play. If you're a fan, especially if you're a fan of uh you know a program that's in the you know maybe even in the bottom half of this conference or kind of in the middle. Like a like a you know a St. Joe's a LaSalle or even you know conf- teams that are in like the four to eight range like a Fordham or a Duquesne, you don't have to go into your team's you know game against a top school like Dayton or St. Louis going yeah it's great that we got that win against such an awesome team oh but what does this do for our bid situation like it it, it takes a lot of complexity out of watching this this conference and it makes conference play in the conference tournament kind of just like a winner takes all. And, you know, maybe that's coming from me as a Fordham fan. Uh, but, you know, would, it, would any of you kind of a, a agree with me there? Yeah, I'll take that. I, I would agree. Um, it's funny listening to the Mason fan perspective on this because, I mean, obviously George Mason was long time in the CAA and CAA for much of his existence, and obviously still to this day, is a one-bid league. Um, and so it puts some emphasis to a degree on conference play to the, to the extent that you get seeding in the tournament. But like at the end of the day, it's a total crapshoot and you like see teams, even in the eight ten, like Richmond being a six seed last year, win it all like it, it, it embraces chaos. I think more than anything else. And it makes it fun. Like I, I can't tell you with, with, with my full chest right now that I think either Dayton or St. Louis is going to win the eight ten tournament. Like, if you give me the field versus them two, I'll take the field. <laughs> like, there's gonna be chaos and it's gonna be fun. I mean, if there's one thing this conference is good at, it's chaos. Yeah, and I, you know, it's like you know, I think people always say that this is a conference that you know, kind of quote like eats itself alive, right? But now, I don't really think that's gonna happen. I don't think the conference really has an opportunity to eat itself <laughs> there's nothing alive. Nothing to eat alive. Yeah, there's nothing to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but let's talk about, you know, why there's nothing to eat and talk about a team who, you know, coming into the, coming into the season was in the top 25, um, you know, ranked number one in, in the preseason poll. And then, you know, has, has, has kind of fallen since, and that's, you know, Chris, your, your Dayton Flyers. I feel like, you know, they they had, a, you know, a couple, a couple losses again, like we saw, you know, last year, two years ago where, you know, we really thought they were going to go in and snag that, but. It's been tough. One point loss to Wisconsin, eight point loss to UNLV that I feel like got people really fired up. Um, there's been a lot of injuries, but overall, I mean, how would you evaluate Dayton's season? Uh, if you could describe it in one word, how would you how would you evaluate it so far? Um, I'd probably say, man, one word. Um, not really disappointing, but I would say underwhelming, just because so. 
the one thing that I, I think people get, uh, especially, you know, in the Twitter verse about the A-10 get really hung up on was like, there's no real like dominant team or blah, 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 blah. Well, I would kind of beg to differ that if you're just looking at the A-10, just the A-10, like Dayton is kind of not, not like dominant, but they're a good team. And I understand why maybe there might be pushback on that because really it's just eight quadrant four wins, eight no, um, in the quadrant four, and then they're they haven't gotten a single win in anywhere else, but they don't have a bad loss, you know. I mean, BYU is a quad three loss right now, but obviously the net's still early, and BYU beat Creighton and they've they've had some other good wins too. So I mean, I'm not really uh, like to me, I'm actually pretty optimistic about their chances in the A10 regular season because right now, if you look at the A10 overall, the average net overall is 170. And if you're looking down the net or even on Ken Palm, um, you know, a lot of teams are just in the smack dab of the middle of the 100s or even and a couple in the 200s as well. And that's who Dayton is absolutely kicking the snot out of right now. Like they, any team that's come in or even like if you're looking at a team like Wyoming, who's 126 and Ken Palm, like, yeah, they're not a good team like right now because they're missing their best player. But Dayton still kicked the snot out of them because Dayton was still had injuries and they still beat them pretty easily. And they beat a couple other, you know, they beat everyone else that's quad four is they beat the snot out of. So to me, it's just like you look at the A10 and you're like, okay, Dayton really kind of has a ceiling where they're not, it's going to be very challenging for them to beat a team in the top 100 of Kempom. Like Salu's a top 100 team, barely, but they are. So like that's going to be a tough game. But like every other game, you know, you're kind of looking at it and you're like, huh, there's not really another team besides St. Louis that's going to really give a challenge to Dayton. Maybe a Fordham, maybe a UMass. You know, they're looking like the upper echelon of middle of the pack teams. They might give them some a tough game, especially since it's at Fordham and at UMass this year for Dayton. But everyone else, like even VCU, Duquesne, Richmond, Davidson, like everyone else down the list, I'm just like, who's really going to challenge them? Because they're kicking the shit out of everyone else, you know? And that's where I'm like, you know, they can probably make the tournament at a 15 and three. They can pro as like going in, like if they win the A-10 at 15 and three, or maybe even a 14 and four, depending on who they lose to, right? They can probably get in as an at-large. Now, is that going to happen? Uh, history, especially in the Anthony Grant era, says probably not. But this but is you're also saying a, there's a chance. But you're <laughs> saying there's a chance, yes, with Harry met Sally. So um, that's kind of where I see Dayton right now. Like, yeah, the like they blew every single opportunity they had to get a good win, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad team, right? Um, it just means you know, hey, they have a ceiling, but the floor is above everyone else almost. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And it's one of those things, right, where um you know, yeah, you look at you look at their net record and, you know, 8 and 5, everyone's like, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people being, you know, people on Twitter that like to detract on things. You know, they'll say, "Oh, all 8 in their wins came in in quad 4." But you go 8 and quad go 8 no in quad 4, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And the only thing that I would say that is you know, kind of force them to come up short in, 
you know, in many respects is the injuries that we've seen all year. I mean, you know, Malachi Smith has been kind of on and off all year. Now Kobe Elvis, you know, he he left the game recently. Uh he's got a he's got a knee injury. So or sorry, you know, he left the game like last month with 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 a knee injury against BYU. So for you, I mean, as as a as a Dayton fan and someone who watches basketball or watches a lot of Dayton basketball, um, is it hard to even like evaluate what this team is really capable of because they've kind of been playing with, you know, rosters as they, as they need to go like throughout the season? Uh, yes and no. Um, that's a, that's honestly a loaded question because like they pretty much had everyone healthy in the Bahamas. The only player they didn't have was Kobe, Kobe Brea. And like, they I don't think he's the difference between a win and a loss, you know, Mm. like I think they were just, uh, you know, it's at this point, it doesn't even matter what I think was going on with the team because that's just speculation and who knows. Um, They just, uh, to me, it just, as a, you know, a fan, they just didn't look like they had their identity of how they wanted to play. Like they, they have these two big guys, you know, that are pretty much going to be all a 10 players and Tumani and Zeran. And it seemed like they didn't know that they didn't know how to get him the ball more, you know, because like if you look at Dayton on Ken Palm, like they're 19. What is it? Oh, they're they're 52nd in the country uh, in two point percentage. Um, you know, they're they're going to get a lot of their buck. Like that's where they need to get a lot of their buckets. And they were taking a lot of three point shots in those games in the Bahamas. And they're like one of the worst three point shooting teams in the country. So it's like, you know, you take the threes if you have them open, but if you're going to keep shooting them every time, like you're not, you're not giving yourself the best chance to win because you have this identity. And Grant's always had this identity too, of getting a majority of your buckets at the rim. Like that's why the 2020 team was so successful. Um, Even the year before that, like in Obi's and Jay and Obi's first year before he became what he is, like they were still one of the top teams in the country from two and effective field goal percentage. So like they were kind of away from that. But now that since they've been back from the Bahamas, besides the Virginia Tech game where they couldn't hit anything to save themselves, they've pretty much just dominated around the rim. And it's because, especially recently too, against Wyoming, they dominated against Alcorn State. Obviously they dominated Asheville, they dominated down low. And that's the game plan for Dayton. Um, they've been starting to hit threes a little more. So teams have respected it a little bit more, but I think more or less it's because like, to me, it's just, they, they look like they're trying to draw things up in a better way to get easier buckets. And that's just, that's Dayton's identity under Grant is getting easy buckets, but before they were not. So now that we, now that they're kind of rolling a little bit, I mean, yeah, it's Alcorn state, like, and a couple teams that just really stink. Like they're still figuring out now how to get easier buckets. Duran looks way better than he did in the beginning. Looks a lot more comfortable. So um, yeah, like right now I would say, you know, they're still the favorite to win the A-10 because Mm. no one else has really stepped up to say, okay, we're definitely better than Dayton and here. And here's why, you know? So yeah. Especially St. Louis after last night's loss to Edwards, you know, was it Southern Southern Illinois Edwardsville? So oh, yeah. uh, no one's really no one's really stepped up to say like, oh, well, Dayton's not that good, but here comes us, you know. Like everyone's still like, well, Dayton's not that good as we thought, but neither are we. So therefore, Dayton is probably still like 
top dog in the conference or should be expected to win the A-10, you know? Yeah, I totally agree with you there, Chris. Um, I will just say with UMass going to have Fernandes back, hopefully, I am saying hopefully for our St. Bonaventure game. Um, UMass could compete with Dayton, but I'm not going to go all the way there and saying UMass is going to beat Dayton for the conference tournament. I can't go that far yet, even though Coach Martin is saying I UMass can te- definitely do this, considering we've off, we're off to our best like start since the 2013-2014 season. Yeah, I mean, and look, I mean, once we get to the tournament, like we've seen year after year, I mean, it's it 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 can be literally anyone's game. I mean, Dayton obviously is coming in here, like you said, Chris. I mean, even with you know an eight and five record right now, I mean, still clearly like you know one of the one of the best teams in the Atlantic Ten, if not the best. But for you, I mean, if they're going to succeed and win this Atlantic 10 tournament, how do you see them doing it? And if they come up short, where do you see them coming up short? Um, winning the tournament? Oh, that shit doesn't happen. They haven't won that since like 2006. I, I'm pretty like I'm pretty sure that was the last time they won that was that long ago, and that was at UD Arena. So like them winning the A10 tournament, you can forget about it. But. <laughs> I'm so glad I got the New Yorker to laugh. Thank God. But hey, I'm walking here. But um but if they were to gonna win it, there's three things. Number one, they gotta they gotta get a top four. They gotta get top four, right? Like there's just I just don't see a Dayton team that's gonna win four games in four days. Um number two, they have to get a little healthy. Like, and here's the thing, they've been pretty decent, even though they've been injured. I mean, sans the Virginia Tech loss. But having Malachi Smith back, which they'll get him back relatively soonish, um, from what I've heard, um, he might be out the first like two or two or three games of the A10 season. But he's pretty close to coming back. Like he's out of the walking boot and whatnot. Like he's gonna slide right into that starting role. And although he's not a scorer, he's a, an elite defender on ball, and he knows the offense better than Mike um, Mongolian Mike. You know, so and Mongolian Mike has done his, his has done well, but the one thing that Mongolian Mike has had problems with is staying on the floor because of foul trouble. So um that's number two is Malachi Smith needs to be healthy because him running the offense is gonna make things a lot better for this team, especially on defense. And then number three, they have to have to have to get Duran or Tumani Kamara the ball the rest of the way if they get off of that game plan of just getting those to the ball down low they're gonna lose like i would i would put so much money on that if if dayton starts getting away from their identity of you know taking majority of their shots down low through duran or tumani kamara and they start hitting more than like I'd say 14 to 15 threes a game. If they start doing more than that, they're going to lose because they're not a three-point shooting team. Now they can hit timely threes at some times, but they're not going to shoot the lights out in the gym by shooting threes all game. If they do that, then you're screwed no matter what. But um, yeah, they basically need those three things. They have to finish top four, which is very, very doable. They need to have Malachi Smith back and healthy back his old self from last year. And they need to keep the game plan of Tumani and Duran getting the ball on almost every single possession. It, it, even if they don't shoot it, if they get the ball, it's going to spread the defense 
fence out more. It's going to create other opportunities from guys, even to make cuts at the basket, you know? So those three things need to happen. Otherwise, uh, Dayton's not going to have a successful season or an A-10 tournament. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. Um, actually, to to kind of fact check you there, it's been since 2003 that Dayton has not won the Atlantic 10 tournament, which is a crazy stat because, I mean, I mean, they've been the, like, one of, if not the premier team, right, of the conference these last couple of years. Um, I guess it's just one of those things, right, where uh, it's just another reason why that 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 unfinished season in 2020 probably keeps a lot of Flyers fans up at night, right? We, well, we're three seasons now removed from it. So, like, yeah. as much as sucky as it was, like, we're kind of moved on. And, you know, it, it is what it is at this point. You can't – it's no one's fault. You did what – you know, it, it's just something that – if, if that's it affects everyone you know yeah no totally i mean the, you know there's there were there were 32 teams that year who didn't get to finish their who who didn't get to finish their uh conference tournament but uh yeah really interesting and you know before we move on to our next thing i i will say that that game at fordham is probably going to be pretty crazy i mean consider that malachi smith you know he's he's a bronx native went to st raymond's which is a big program uh in the bronx you know for high school basketball right out of parkchester and you know i was a student my freshman year at Fordham was was one year where uh, Scoochie Smith came and uh, played at the Rose Hill Gym, and he drew a huge crowd. Uh, so I, I I can only imagine that the same will happen for for Malachi. Um, but you know, kind of moving through the rest of the through the rest of the rest of the men's uh you know kind of program here, uh, I just wanted to talk about this real quick. You know, George Mason putting together a pretty solid win streak lately, you know, win against a really good Hofstra team, like, you know, like, like, like we were talking about before CAA, you know, a, a, a perennial one bid league, but I think in, in basketball and even football, if, if, if any of you uh, are FCS football fans, I think a, a conference that is really on the rise, uh, that's going to over the next couple of years and another win against Tulane, uh, you know, a team in the AAC, which Fordham also got a great win against, but then drops a one point game, to Old Dominion. Daniel, what went wrong there? I feel like this is where I usually answer you what went right. <laughs> <laughs> um, at risk of, of having a catchphrase. Um, no, it was a weird game of runs. Um, Mason came out unbelievably hot. Ticket actually hit two threes for like the first time all season. Victor Bailey Jr. was sensational. Um he just got out dueled by I, I blanked on the kid's name called Dominion who dropped like thirty. Um and it's the same type of finish that George Mason fans have been haunted by for years. Um I mean Mason led by five in the final minutes. All you have to do right is make free throws. And you know that the the, the, the the statistics say that Victor Bailey Jr. is the one who's gonna miss the front end of a one and one. He makes both free throws. Your best player supposedly goes to the line with under 10 seconds left for a one and one Josh Oduro misses a front end. And just like Yuri Collins did last year with St. Louis in, in Fairfax, just like so many other guards have done over the years, just drive the floor against George Mason, the final minute, lay it in like it's a layup line and Mason loses. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it, it was, it was, I, I was, I was not happy. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, sorry to sorry to open that open that wound up for you there, but I just I I had I had to know because you know I I felt like Mason Twitter was going going off a little a little Mason Twitter you know. is is 
we don't know what to do with Josh Adora right now. Um, <laughs> because the eye test says Mason's better without him on the floor, which is hard to say. Um, the numbers don't completely agree, but they don't also completely disagree. Ginko Ojiako has very good numbers, and Malik Henry, I think, has been very underutilized, which is probably neither here nor there. But um, at risk of this becoming a long Mason monologue, I'll just say Mason's got to figure their shit out before conference play. Yeah, and it was Tyreek Scott Grayson that had the 30-point game for Old Dominion uh, in that game. And, you know, I have to admit, though, like a 78 in college basketball, a 78-77 loss is like one of those things, right, where it's like you really – I mean, I guess you, I guess you kind of failed in, 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 in two ends. I mean, you failed defensively because you let up 78 points in a college yeah. basketball game. That's a, that's a lot of points. That was like, that was like Fordham's game against Tulane. It was 95 to 90. And I asked Coach Ergo, like, I, I, I asked him a question, like, oh, what did, what did you think of your team defensively? He goes, well, defensively, we let up 90 points. So I don't really, you know, there's, there's not really much to say there, but, uh, you know, and, offensively you put up 77 points that's a great performance they just put up one more point than you so i mean it's just a tough look but you know mason you know has a chance to go eight and five tomorrow against coppa state you know putting up entering conference play with the same record as dayton so again anyone's conference but uh let's let's kind of shift over to the women's side of things and while most women's bracketologies that i've kind of been looking at still put the Atlantic 10 as a one bid league. Um, I feel like this is a much more enjoyable and much more positive one bid league uh, than we, than we feel about the men's side. Am, am I right? I mean, were we expecting the women's uh, side of things to be a one big league anyway? I mean, kind of with what you're saying, Sam, in the past few years, not including last season. The past few years, we've only been seeing our automatic qualifier because the rest of the conference hasn't, like, upheld or, like, hit the standards that they're expected to hit. And I feel now with St. Joe's on the rise, Rhode Island on the rise, and UMass on the rise, I feel that we could see, like, one of those three teams get into, like, the tournament, whether it's literally a play-in game to, like, determine whether they will play in, like, the actual tournament itself, I feel more confident looking at it now that we will actually get a team, like, another team in there besides just our automatic qualifier because, like, we're really on the rise with Verde being in his seventh season. And the Rhode Island coach, I'm blanking on her name right now. Tammy Reese. Thank you, Tammy Reese. I, I knew it started with a T. Um, being in Rhode Island for several seasons now, I feel that those two programs are going to be really strong and that like you could see the possibility of those two programs really battling it out hard at, in both those games this season, possibly showing us a possible A-10 championship. That, that right there, I think UMass and Rhode Island are the strongest teams they've been in a decade when they were used to be the bottom of the A-10, like seven years ago. If you go back and look, it was literally UMass and Rhode Island, the bottom two teams of the A-10. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, 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 that's a really interesting point that you bring up. I mean, and you know, yes, UMass and Rhode Island right now, probably on paper, you know, with their, with their schedule and everything are the strongest teams 
in the conference. But then you've got three more 10-win teams on the women's side. You've got Duquesne at 10-3, and Richmond Spiders at 10-3, and and St. Joe's at 10-2. and So, I mean, could we even see something like, you know, like we say on the men's side, you know, you want – an at-large bid coming in and then losing in the final. I mean, is this is this a serious situation that we could see on the women's side, or do you feel like we haven't really built a you know a an at-large team yet, and they're actually going to have to string along some wins in conference play before a team becomes an at-large team? I think I think UMass, not to steal the year UMass Thunder, Kaylee. I think UMass is in. I think UMass has proven time and again that they are a team that deserves deserves to be in, and I think they're a team that if they get in, will win a game or two. Um, and you're saying like barring barring a conference play collapse, there they've punched their UMass should be fine. I mean, their net is I'm blanking on what it is. I think it's like 64 today or something. They're I like, feel like a that's li- right. They're a little bit below where they want to be. Part of that's going to be because Tennessee's kind of had some weird losses, but that Tennessee loss is going to not look as bad, you know, mathematically. It's stuff's going to some balance some stuff out. UMass is not going to lose, you know, more than like two, three games in conference play, probably. Um, UMass is just head and shoulders the cream of the crop, I think, in this conference. They've had some weird stretches. Um, but I really think still, too, that there is a possibility, even without, you know, what you were describing, um, Sam, of, you know, UMass needing to lose in, in the A-10 finals. I think that Rhode Island can still get there on their own. Um, Rhode Island, so damn close to pulling it out against Wake today. Um, but Rhodey has another quad one win, uh, opportunity next week at Princeton. That would get them to 10-3, and three, or, or they... Would that be ten and two? Uh, that would be ten and two, I believe. They've only yeah. lost two games. I think that would be enough. Where if Rhodey just doesn't fall on their face in conference play, could you know get into you know be a last four in kind of situation? Um, I think that's probably it for the at large potential. But I mean, this conference on the women's side is as deep as it's been, I think, in my lifetime, and I feel like we've been saying that a lot recently. But it keeps being true. Um, I mean, even a team like George Mason, who yes, I'm extremely partial to. But, like, watching this team and watching them grow this season, like, they have taken so many strides from two years ago in the COVID season when I watched them lose 16 consecutive games at home or something or whatever it was. I lost track. Wow. (laughs) Um, And, um, I mean, like, so many programs like that have taken so many steps forward that, like, for as many steps backwards as the A-10 men have taken recently, the A-10 women have taken just as many steps forward, if not double. Yeah, and so for the record, uh, right now in the, in the in the women's net, UMass is uh, the highest A10 team at fifty nine. Oh, they went up, and then Rhodey <laughs> is right behind them at uh, seventy eight. Well, so, I think Go ahead, a decent gap, but you know nothing, nothing it's too doable. crazy. It's doable. Yeah. yeah, and I think right now, if you kind of look at yesterday's game, if UMass lost that game. I don't think I would be here in a safe way. I think it would be, I was there actually for A10 Talk, reporting, live tweeting, everything. Um, and they're like, they went down within the first five minutes. And I'm just like, I'm sitting next to other people in the like media and they're just looking at, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like they are 0 and 9. How are we losing 5 to 2 when they're 0 and 9? And we're five minutes into the game. Like, we've only scored seven combined points. And then, like, we went on a huge run, held them to, like, 
31 points the entire game. Nine points a quarter, and then they only scored, I want to say it was like six points in the last two quarters. So we really held them like to no points whatsoever. And the Mount, I don't think I've seen that many travels calls in a college-level game in my lifetime. The second <laughs> quarter, I swear there was 10 travels between both teams. I don't even want to know what the turnover count was, but it was so bad. Like, it, like honestly, I lost my mind just sitting there. I will say, I feel like UMass's defense doesn't get talked about enough. For all the, the flashiness that their offense brings, and their offense is incredible, don't get me wrong. Um, I just feel like the defense really just doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, there's so many examples of like what you're describing, Kaylee, of like just shutting teams down. Like there's nights where their offense isn't as good as it could be, but they'll still like hold you to under 40 points and they'll be fine. They'll win yeah. just anyway. And it, it's, it's, I think one of the reasons I think that this team could go far in March. Hmm. Yeah. You're not wrong there, Daniel. I mean, literally like I just looked 25 turnovers, by St. Peter's in the game, which is about their season average, is 25 turnovers. And I want to say is maybe a season high for UMass in season in turnovers with 18. A total of, like, 43 turnovers between both teams. Like, really? That's a lot. I, wow. I've yeah, never like seen that. <laughs> that. That sounds like a George Mason game. That yeah. sounds like any team, You're like, three years there. ago. <laughs> I mean, literally, like, I'm just, like, shocked with that. And the fact, too, of literally, like, we're doing so well. We actually just got McKenna White back from injury. And she put up a, a her third career double-double yesterday. So I can't say anything, like, other than McKenna White came through. <laughs> even though, like, her, Sam Breen, and Sydney, just those three in scoring alone beat St. Peter's. You you could have taken you could have not played those three at all and we would have still have won. And like yeah. UMass's defense, they like they have a goal where you have to take three charges in a game. They didn't <laughs> take those three charges in the game until the fourth quarter. Wow. And I'm I'm just like and then we started our like we actually started our starters in the fourth quarter when I was expecting like the entire lineup to be bench players at that point. But he slowly like substituted them off. And they barely scored any like points, the starters. So it's going to be interesting to see. So the women of the A10 are in kind of an interesting position here, right? Because you know, in terms of their of their scheduling layout, where while they are entering the same holiday break, the the men's team are, you know, no games this weekend. Picking back up on Wednesday, they actually have not finished non-conference play. On Wednesday, the twenty eighth, we're going to see uh, you know f- you know five or six games uh, still in non conference play on the women's side. Even though Loyola Chicago and uh, St. Louis are you know kicking kicking off conference play uh, against each other on Wednesday, and then we're going to see you know one more game on Thursday with with Dayton playing Cedarville, and then on there everyone's got a day off on Friday, and then everyone picks back up on New Year's Eve to you know kind of really begin women's conference play in full. So for for anyone here, you know, what are, you know, the, what's are two of the most important, maybe two or three of the most important games for the A-10, you know, just in one last chance to try and grab 
some really important non-conference wins. I mean, are we really only looking at like Rhode Island and UMass to kind of carry it? Or would a game like, you know, St. Bonaventure beating Buffalo or VCU Never mind, not VCU beating Howard. That's that's <laughs> not say, even a don't bring uh, St. Bonaventure to this. Don't yeah. Do well no, I mean St. Well, no, I mean, no, I'm gonna Saint... keep St. Bonaventure Buffalo, but I was I said Saint I said VCU Howard, but then I was like, nah, you know what? Three and eight versus three and nine, that's that's really not gonna do much. There's only one game worth talking about left on the women's non conference slate. It's Rhode Island and Princeton, and there's there's not a whole lot else. I'm I'm personally rooting very hard for Dayton to beat Cedarville so they finally get a win so that they don't come in George May in their opener and finally look for a win. Um, yeah, that's rough. But beyond that, no, it, it there's really only one game watching left. Yeah. On God. And that's a great game. Don't get me wrong. That's a great game. Oh, I was, it is. I was just looking for something <laughs> on that Wednesday. You dug a little too deep there, Sam. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say maybe if St. Bonaventure can pull off the win against Buffalo, that would boost Rhode Island's net rankings because Rhode Island did beat Buffalo earlier on in the season, so that game would be helpful for like a win for the Bonnies to help out Rhodey. I will I will say that. Um UMass beating Dartmouth. Dartmouth hasn't been the best the past few years, so UMass they, if they lose that game, I'm gonna lose my mind, but I don't see how they could lose that game because the Ivy the Ivy League's their only really good teams are Columbia and Princeton. And you granted UMass lost to Columbia. It was out of the spite of having one Columbia player just go lights out from three. So like Columbia and Princeton are gonna be like the people in the Ivy League, but I mean Princeton, Rhodey, go Rhodey. <laughs> one of the few times I will ever say go Rhodey as a UMass <laughs> fan. Please know that. Rooting for the conference does all sorts of weird things to you. I'll, I've been there have been nights I've been cheering for VCU and it, it has ruined me. All right, so I mean that's that's pretty good. I mean I was I was hoping to find something on that Wednesday slate, but I, I, I guess not. But finally, you know, this is something that we did. We kind of did uh a little differently in the in the beginning of the year kind of like almost like a high school yearbook kind of thing where you know we were talking we were trying to make a bold prediction for you know our teams or just the conference in general uh for their seasons overall but to finish off this week's podcast uh let's have everyone go around and just give you know on the men's or women's side just their boldest conference play uh prediction starting off with with you daniel I'll give you one for each side. My right. bold prediction, you're going to hate me for saying this, Fordham's, Fordham is a pillow fight team. You, it, it, everything about Fordham just reeks of Mason a couple years ago where they were like 11-2 and two and then just bombed. I hate to say it, Sam. I think Fordham's a pillow fight team. Um, on the women's side, I'm going to go on a limb and say George Mason finishes seventh or better which would be by far their best conference finish since joining the A-10, like 10 odd years ago. All right. I like it. I mean, I don't like that Fordham one, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide. It's, 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 it's your opinion. Uh, Chris, what do you got for us? Uh, well, um, as far as the men, cause I, I personally, I'm a very casual women's basketball watcher. So I leave that up to you guys, but um, so I don't have one there, but the, um, for the men's side, um, my boldest take for the conference season is I honestly think Loyola Chicago 
Um, I think they're going to finish top half of the league. And I know that's not saying too much, but right now they're 218 in net and they don't look great. Um, they had a terrible start. I mean, they're, they have four losses in the quad three and four, but they went and they got a, uh, a nice win against Clemson. Um, so, and they look like they're trending in the right direction. Um, Clemson is actually a top 100 net team. Um, you know, they have won three in a row. They lost a close game to DePaul. So, um, you know, they lost a close game to Harvard. So, you know, they're, they actually don't look as bad now as I thought they did at the beginning of the season when they almost lost their opening night game to Fairleigh Dickinson. So, um, yeah, and it'll be really interesting because tonight they play Stanford. Um, in a neutral court game in California. So it's like a semi away almost uh, in Santa Cruz. So um, I'm actually, if, if I think if they beat Stanford tonight, then I'm kind of in on them, maybe sneaking into top four, but I know they will finish top half of the league. That's my take for Loyola, at least. I like it. I, I, I have to agree with you. I mean, Loyola, I feel like came in with some high expectations and if not, you know, really fulfilled them but you know they they still have they they still yet to play in the conference so we'll see kaylee what do you got i think everyone here is gonna be looking at me like i'm crazy but my boldest take um besides the woman's finally winning a game um um that's too crazy for us (laughs) my boldest take is definitely gonna be umass men's and women's sweeping the men's and women's basketball regular season and conference titles. My boldest take right there. I'm going to wow. say a UMass sweep of basketball. I don't think has that ever happened in the A10 or like you know pretty much any conference where where if both it, schools. Well, yeah, 2020 UConn. They, UConn. Yeah, well, UConn. UConn. Yeah, they won the national title to like as men and women, but Dayton. No. Uh, what was it? 2020. I mean, the the men yep. and women yeah. both yep. won the league, right? And the woman yeah. won the conference tournament as well, and the men would have had there been one. The woman right. got theirs in a week early. Um, I'm sure it's happened at some point or another. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. If but anything, I'm... well, GW men have only won it twice, so it was a thing. And it... Anyway, I, I'll, I'll do some research, and we'll see what I can well, dig up. Last time UMass men have won it is actually – Dating back to 1998, I believe, when we had our last NCAA bid before the 2013-2014 season. That was when Calipari, wasn't it? Still? Uh, Travis. I, okay. No, not Travis. Not Travis. Um, uh, Derek Kellogg? No, not Kellogg. Um, it was – he was at Drexel. I'm trying to think. His name is blanking my head right now. He came – he was an assistant for Calipari, though. I know that. I know I'm going to literally think of it as soon as we get off the Zoom for this. Um, but he did push Travis Ford. Travis, no, it's not. Um, there was someone, there were two people before Travis. Bruiser was, Flint. Was thank bruiser, you, Bruiser. Yeah, Bruiser from Flint. 19, he, was, he was the head coach from 1996 okay. to 01. Yeah. And then he it, took was over after it was Steve yeah, Lapis. It was Steve Lapis after Lapis. Flint. And then, and then Travis, Travis Ford. Um, Interesting. I, yeah, and the woman just won their first ever um, tournament championship title last season. Granted, they had two NCAA runs back in the 90s. 
So. All right, so I guess for my my boldest take, I think, and I don't know how I can really quantify this, but you know, maybe maybe saying a rookie of the year is a little is a little too, or you know, freshman of the year, whatever it is, is a little too bold. But I think we are going to see a lot more attention on this Fordham freshman class than we saw at the end of the season for the men's side than we saw at the beginning of the year. Um, obviously, you know, it's, it's been talked about, you know, guys like Will Richardson, Angel Montas, Ramad Dean, you know, really significant signings for Fordham, especially in comparison to the last couple of years. But in the tail end of, of, of their non-conference play, they have stepped up huge. I mean, Angel Montas made his debut for Fordham today in a really, really good win against VMI, got nine points. Uh, Will Richardson made his first start. Uh, over, you know, because Darius Quisenberry was out with a, you know, unspecified injury. Um, Ramad Dean, Elijah Gray showing huge improvements. I think this is, people are going to go into this upcoming offseason a little afraid of what, of what Fordham's younger half is, is, is capable of doing. But we'll see how they do this year and we'll, you know, be following it all the way through conference play here on A10 Talk and on the A10 Talk podcast. Uh, Sam Basil alongside Chris Pyle, Daniel Frank, Kaylee Godek. We'll see you guys next time. But in the meantime, keep checking out A10Talk.com. Follow the four of us on Twitter as well as everybody that contributes to A10 Talk because we're always putting out the best stuff we can. And uh, until then, we'll see you guys next time.